There is nothing on earth more important to me than Christina and our kids. Um, I invest myself into my family because I value my family. I invest money, time, thought, creativity, energy, wisdom, skills, spiritual leadership. I give them me because they are valuable to me, but they also give much to me. And our giving and receiving relationship is priceless. You invest the most in what you value the most. Another way to say that is whatever you treasure the most is where your heart is. Now let me ask you a question and I want you to try to answer this the best that you can. Why do you think, you, why do you think so many Christians invest so little of themselves into gospel partnership. And I'm talking about more than money. Uh, Time, thought, creativity, energy, wisdom, skills, uh, spiritual gifts. Why do you think that so many Christians put so little sweat into advancing the gospel in the world? And, And I don't know how you would answer that, but I think of Jesus saying, for where your treasure is, There your heart will be also. And I can't help but to think that the reason is that people who invest little value Jesus little. Isn't it true that we invest into the gospel partnership to the degree that we value Christ? And maybe our reluctance to evangelize isn't so much about fear or know-how, but more about valuing Jesus too little. We experience little joy in proclaiming him because we experience little joy in knowing him. Isn't that logical? God is calling us to be radically generous and joyful partners in the gospel. He's calling us to work hard, really hard together to advance the gospel. Why? Because everything is lost compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, the Lord. God is calling you right now to value Christ more so that you can more happily give more of yourself to more gospel partnership. It's time for all of us to leave some lesser things behind in order to maybe free up ourselves, to devote more to advancing the gospel. And my aim today is to help you see how exciting and beneficial it is for you to give more for Christ's sake. I I want you to see today why this is a great call for you to give more to the gospel, where, where you want to do it, where it's not this big chore or burden on you, but you say, let me at it. Let me add it. Just, just give me away. I just want to do more for Christ's sake. So I have six reasons for us, for you, to be uh, radically generous and joyful partners in the gospel. Here they are. Be a radically generous and joyful partner in the gospel because, number one, it shows where your heart is. Think about how Paul began this letter. 
I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Partnership in the gospel, koinonia in the gospel, which means a mutual obsession with the gospel, which produces mutual hard work in advancing the gospel. The Philippians labored with Paul because their hearts found great joy in serving Christ. Back in Philippians 1 verse 7, Paul called the Philippians partakers with me of grace, meaning that they all shared in receiving God's saving and empowering grace, which explains their devout partnership in the gospel. First, they were transformed by the gospel. They were transformed by the gospel so that they valued the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then they naturally invested their lives into advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. They lived in order to make Christ look great. That was their ambition. And so what does that tell you about the Philippians? It tells you that their hearts were in it. Their hearts were in it. Scan over verses 14 through 18. They shared in Paul's trouble. They partnered with him when no other church did. They generously and joyfully sent uh, help to meet Paul's needs. And he was well supplied and, and so he could continue to do gospel ministry. As baby Christians, they partnered in the gospel. As baby Christians, they sacrificed in order to see the gospel advance. As baby Christians, they were deeply invested in gospel ministry. And as they matured over those years, they stayed invested. They stayed working at it. They treasured Christ, and therefore, they let goods and kindred go in order to lay up for themselves treasures in heaven. Their hearts We're in it. Heartfelt partnership in the gospel does wonderful things for you and me. Wonderful things. It assures you of your salvation. In other words, it confirms for you that you actually truly do value Jesus Christ above all things. You show other people where your heart is and, and they can They can see, yeah, this person is legitimate. Heartfelt partnership, this is a wonderful one, is a great way to express your love and devotion to God, to show him that your heart really is in it, that you're deeply invested in this, that you love him. You see, your words and your lifestyle show where your heart is. Show where your heart is. Be a radically generous and joyful partner in the gospel because, number two, you will profit greatly. You will profit greatly. Kathleen Elkins wrote a short article titled, The Single Most Effective Way to Get Rich. Uh, She said uh, that it boils down to really one thing, investing. Investing. The way to get rich is investing, and it's the same thing for spiritual riches. In Luke 12, Jesus taught that a person who lays up for himself treasure is not rich toward God, he said. So the inverse is also true. Someone who lays up treasures in heaven is rich toward God. To be rich toward God is to to work for heavenly treasures or to invest your life in gospel partnership. 
Look at verse 17. Paul said, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Paul benefited from receiving the support of the Philippians. He, he took it. He benefited from it. But that wasn't Paul's ultimate aim. He was aiming at something much bigger, much better than that. Paul was grateful for their gifts. He was grateful for their support. But he was not pleading for money. He was not pleading for support. Here's what Paul Paul sought after, the Philippians' spiritual prophet. Key in on three things in verse 17. Fruit, increases, and credit. Those are investment terms. Uh, Dr. Dennis Johnson noted this, quote, In first century commerce, it appears that the term fruit was borrowed from agriculture to serve as a general economic metaphor for monetary profit harvested from any form of labor or investment, end of quote. So like spiritual compounding interest, Paul sought after the increase of the Philippians' spiritual profit deriving from their investment in gospel partnership, in gospel ministry. Paul used the word logos, which you may have heard before, which is often translated word, like it is in John 1.1, that famous verse. But here it is translated credit, like recording assets or investment growth in a bank book. The Philippians' gospel partnership and radical generosity was increasing their spiritual profit inside of their spiritual bank ledger. Increasing spiritual profit is a wonderful eternal blessing, not just a temporary blessing, an eternal blessing that glorifies God. So the question naturally is then, well, what profit do we gain by investing ourselves in gospel partnership? What kickback do we get? Dr. William Hendrickson mentioned a few of those gains, and they're incredible gains. Just listen to what he writes. A good conscience, assurance of salvation, enriched fellowship with other believers, a broadened outlook into the needs and interests of the church universal, increased joy and love, both of these imparted and received, a higher degree of glory in heaven, Judgment Day praise. Fine cars, fine clothes, and fine dining pale in comparison to these riches. Extravagant riches. For someone who values Christ most, being rich toward God is the greatest pursuit with the greatest of profits. And this is why it is so sad to watch people invest more of their lives in things like their cars or their hobbies or their businesses. We're we're talking insignificant and petty things by comparison. Invest their lives, dump their lives, countless hours, uh, money, time, thought, stress, all of that into those things more than they do in the work of Christ, in the world, more than in the gospel And it's tragic because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, the Lord. He he makes it all look like worthlessness. And those people, by prioritizing those things, and we all do it to a certain extent, and we, we catch ourselves in these things, those lesser things, we're missing out on the incredible joy and contentment and fulfillment 
of living for the gospel, living to see it advance on the winning mission. We're on the winning team. It's already been won. What more does Christ need to do to win? He's, He's won, but he'll wrap it all up. I love how Dr. Johnson put it. We also need to cultivate a holy greed for the spiritual prosperity of Christ's reign over the earth so that we seize opportunities to put our money where our hearts are at the ends of the earth. He's saying that's where our heart is, at the end of the earth to see Christ reign over all things. Our return on investment for investing our money, time, talent, sweat, blood, tears into gospel partnership is unparalleled. What you get back is unparalleled. So let us invest extravagantly in Christ's reign in all the earth so that we can profit in Christ. Be a radically generous and joyful partner in the gospel because, number three, it is acceptable and pleasing to God. The gifts that the Philippians sent were a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And Paul employs this Old Testament language of uh, sacrificial imagery here. The Old Testament talks about burnt offerings being a pleasing aroma to God. And the sacrifices were pleasing. Why? Because their hearts were in it or else it wasn't an acceptable sacrifice. They loved and served God. Jesus then came and fulfilled all the Old Testament sacrifices. He was the final blood sacrifice, so we don't have to sacrifice goats. We don't have to sacrifice bulls anymore. Jesus is our final sacrifice. Instead, we sacrifice ourselves in worship to God. We give everything we are, everything we have to Christ, and in doing so, get this, we please God. We please God. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 9, we make it our aim to please him. Hebrews 13, 16 says, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Pleasing to God. As adopted children of God, when we sacrifice in partnership in the gospel, our sacrifice is acceptable. And pleasing to God because it is offered to him through Christ. Acceptable and pleasing. Some of you heard very little, if any at all, affirmation from your earthly fathers. His coldness wounded you deeply. What you would give to hear him say, I love you. Maybe just once. What you would give to hear him say, I'm proud of you. I am glad that God gave you to me. What those words would do if you were to hear them. Oh, what his fatherly affirmation would have done for you or would do for you. Dear one, do not be crushed that your father, earthly father, Uh, failed you in that way, greater affirmation is yours. Now follow this. You were an enemy of God. An enemy of God. Rebellious against him. He would have crushed you with his wrath. 
But instead, through Christ, God adopted you to be his beloved and precious child. He wanted you, and so he gave the great high cost of his only begotten son in order to have you, in order to take you. And now he is happy about you. He is happy to have you. He rejoices over you. He sings over you. He loves you. He affirms you, all because you belong to him. You are his And so when you live for him, when you sacrifice for him, when you partner in the gospel for him, you please him. You please him. He smiles upon you because he sees that you want to please him. He sees that your heart belongs to him. And you don't do it to somehow earn his love so that you can finally become his child. No, you do it because he has made you his child. You are his, and you do it because you are as loved now as you ever will be. You're not going to gain God's approval any more than you already have it now in Christ. He loves you as much as he's going to love you with his extravagant love. And, And please catch this, because of the work of Christ, which please the Father, and because you are united to Christ, your work now in Christ pleases your Father. You can please God. Now, doesn't knowing that motivate you to please God more and more and more with your life? Just imagine the son or daughter. I played sports, so this is real for me on the sports field, looking up into the stands and seeing dad. And and dad has a huge, loving and supportive smile on his face with a twinkle in his eye that communicates to this son or daughter playing on the field, I love you no matter what, no matter whether you win or lose this game, no matter if you're the one that scores on your goal and everybody laughs and... And you're the kind of anti-hero, no matter what, but go hard because your dad loves you. Is your greatest ambition in life to give pleasure to your heavenly father as you partner in his mission, as you do his work? And maybe when you think about that, giving more for the gospel, maybe you get scared, maybe you get insecure to give your best to gospel mission and ministry because maybe... If you give your best, you'll make some mistakes. People will see those mistakes. Maybe people will find out that after all these years, you're still a baby Christian, and you don't know that much about the Bible. And that might feel embarrassing for you. Maybe someone else will prove to be more gifted and bear more fruit than you do And so for whatever reason it may be, you start to disengage, you start to to back away, you start to sit back and let others do the hard work of advancing the gospel, and you miss out on doing awesome things in the name of Christ to please your Father. You miss out. You choose to sit on the bench when you could have chosen to be in the game. But when you know your father accepts you already, win or lose, you can go hard without fear of what the repercussions are going to be because you're going to see the smile of your dad. He's smiling. So what gives us confidence to go for it then? Why risk? 
Number four, God will supply all your needs. God will supply all your needs. Don't ever forget verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. That's not health, wealth, and prosperity gospel or garbage. That's our loving Heavenly Father providing for us everything that we need, all of our needs, in Christ Jesus. We may suffer excruciating pain in this life. We, we may not be rich in this life. We may have chronic illness in this life. But our God will supply every single one of our needs in Christ. It is said, I, I find wealth interesting Maybe because I didn't feel like I could create it in the business world. So when other people do, it's like, wow, that's just amazing. How did these people do this? But it's said that in Kerala, India, um, inside the various underground vaults of Padman Abhaswami, say that ten times, temple, the richest temple in the world, uh, there are jewels, idols, coins, and different treasures that are worth more than one trillion dollars What extravagant riches. But our God dwells in glory in unfathomably, unfathomable riches. Incalculable riches. He is rich in glory and his intrinsic worth is more valuable than all of earth's luxurious treasures. Scripture talks about the riches of God's glory, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, that God is rich in mercy and about God bestowing his riches on all who call on him. Can we trust God? I mean, really trust God to meet all of our needs? Really? What gives us confidence for that? Absolutely, you can trust it, and here's why. God gives to his children according to his unlimited riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 3.8 talks about the unsearchable riches of Christ. And Ephesians 1.7 about the riches of his grace. What need do you have that God will not meet fully in his son, Jesus Christ? What need? Does he not meet in himself? Consider this point very carefully. God meets needs in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. Which means God does not promise anything good to unbelievers who are not in Christ Jesus. God only promises to meet all the needs of those united to his son by grace through faith. The tragedy of unbelief is that unbelievers will forever be aware of their incredible need, but have absolutely no way of satisfying it. Unbelief leads to eternal and horrifying discontentment with no hope of relief. None. The time for relief will have been passed. But those who trust in Christ will eternally, don't take that word lightly, eternally be satisfied in Christ. God meets our needs forever. He meets them in 10 billion years. He meets them after 10 trillion years. He just keeps meeting our needs forever. The Philippians, they could generously partner, sacrificially give in the gospel because God would meet their needs from the storehouse of his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. The old hymn is right. Be not dismayed, whate'er betide, God will take care of you. 
all you may need, He will provide. God will take care of you. It would profit all of us to think more of our eternal needs than our temporal needs and how Christ meets every single one of our eternal needs in Himself. Since God is unfathomably rich and promises to provide all your needs from His limitless wealth, what have you to fear losing? Give yourself to radical generosity and joyful partnership because you trust that the Father will meet all your needs. Be a radically generous and joyful partner in the gospel because, number five, all glory goes to our God and Father. Nothing should mean more uh, to you in this life than glorifying God. You were created to glorify God. God keeps you alive to glorify God. God gives you money to glorify God. God. God gives you health to glorify God. God gives you family to glorify God. God gives you creativity and intellect and ambition and skills and talents and interests to glorify God. When we give and receive in partnership in the gospel, all glory goes to God, our Father. Deep within our hearts should be this drive, this ambition to partner in the gospel in a way that shows God to be glorious amazing, most worthy, most awesome, nothing else compares. Last one, be a radically generous and joyful partner in the gospel because number six, it builds a loving bond with your brothers and sisters in Christ as you enjoy God's grace together. One of my favorite things in life is to sit around with brothers and sisters in Christ and just to enjoy God's grace together, to share stories to, to share confessions and triumphs of grace and to share testimonies of what God is doing in our lives. I've always had that, strangely, in my life. I've had people that I could do that with, and that's been a tremendous gift. Uh, it has been the delight of my life. Paul ends by saying this, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. What a, what a sweet ending to a letter. Can you feel the bond between the saints in that ending? Mutual affection, even people from Caesar. This is Caesar now, all right? Most powerful man on earth, Caesar's household, which may have been Caesar's family, but it also could have referred to people like Caesar's cooks and Caesar's musicians, judges, builders, stables, hands, soldiers, accountants, all those types of people. After all, as Paul told us earlier, that the gospel, his imprisonment, had advanced throughout the whole imperial guard. Prominent people of Rome had heard the gospel, embraced Jesus Christ by faith, and shared in that deep bond of familial affection. The grace of God was with them all. They all enjoyed God's grace together in one spirit. Partnership in the gospel bonds you to so many people. People throughout history, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, Solomon, the prophets, the apostles, the Philippians, and, and it bonds you to people all around the world right now who are following Christ. We have God's saving grace in common. We have God's son, his one and only son in common. And that bond, that affection is deep, it's wide, and folks, quite frankly, it's just fun. It's just fun, man. If you travel to other cultures and you get to meet these fascinating Christian people who love Christ 
And they do things a little different, and you're like, that's weird. Tell me about that. I don't get it, you know? And, and you can tell them about your culture. It's just, it's just fun. When you enjoy God's grace, you enjoy it with tons of other intriguing and interesting people that you don't even know. So you know what that means? You belong. You have a place. You are loved. You are in. Your work matters. Your work counts because Christ has made you his own and has given you something to do alongside of all these other brothers and sisters in order to work together to advance the gospel. You have a place. You're important in this mission. In fact, you're desperately needed. You can't sit because it directly impacts what we're trying to do. And so what, what the encouragement is, is find it and do it well for him. Find it and do it well for him. So I, I think a great way for me to end this sermon series is to read the entire book of Philippians for you. And so that's what I'm going to do. And, and it'll take about 13 and a half minutes just to prepare you. And I'm not going to display the words. All right, so if the words are up, let's take those words down. Because I want you just to listen. I want you to put yourself in the place of the Philippians as you were hearing. We're a church just like they were. Someone read Paul's letter, and they would have been hanging on every word. They would have said, oh, I wonder what Paul's going to say next. This is so interesting. And so I'm just going to get, I'm going to press up on your biz and get a little closer and I'm going to read the entire book of Philippians. Uh, I ask maybe that you don't follow along. And if you're like, I can't, I, I have to follow along. Okay, well then, follow along. But just listen. Let Paul reach out and grab you and to pull you into this incredible book. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I want you to know, brothers that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love Knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel, the former proclaimed Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment? What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Holy of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not 
be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful label for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or questioning that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I've thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need, for he has been longing 
for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble for me. It is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I had suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus had made, has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think, think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also, also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have obtained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord. My beloved, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, 
Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourself know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia... No church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Father, thank you so much for your inspired word that comes to us through the hand of Paul. I wonder what the Philippians, how, how did they feel when they received this letter from their dear brother in Christ, their deep friend, the, the, the partner in ministry, they must have been hanging on every word. And I pray, God, that this little experience here of us reading the entire book of Philippians together would change us, transform us, help us to more identify with the people behind these letters and, most importantly, the God behind them. And so, God, I pray that Philippians will transform someone this morning. I pray that if someone does not know Jesus Christ that is sitting here, that they would fall today at the knees, uh, at the feet of Jesus, lay all their sin down, confess all of their sin, all of their failure, all of their... And that, God, they would place their faith in Jesus Christ. That their repentance would be, I'm done with that lifestyle. I'm done with that sin. I'm casting it off. I'm turning my back on it. I just want Jesus. I want to have this type of bond and fellowship that the Philippians had, that Paul had, that all the Christians have. And, God, I pray that Jesus will emerge to be most precious to someone this morning. Transform our lives through your awesome word, all for your fame. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.